Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice in the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your critics, Joshua Tracing. And I'm Roger Ebert. Oh, Corwin Heller. Corwin Heller. We have one joke and we will use it every week, folks. <laughs> Get used to it. I haven't I have not used that in months. Months? Month prob I, it has to be months, because I've been like holding myself back from using it. Like I was like, all right, I get to use this like three times total. I'm gonna wait. And I I think this is my third. Mm, Alright. I'll 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 accept this reality as, as the truth. But <laughs> anyway. Uh, we are talking about 1985's Police Story and 2001's Mulholland Drive. Uh, Corwin Heller, do you have a preference on where we start today? I want to finish on Mulholland Drive. All right. In that instance, by process of discrimination, we'll be starting with Police Story. Um, hey. <laughs> which was released in 1985. Directed by Jackie Chan and Chi Hua Chen, written by Jackie Chan and Edward Tang, starring Jackie Chan, Maggie Chung, and Bridget Lin. Um, this film had an estimated budget. Uh, oh, actually, I don't have it anywhere. That's interesting. So we have no idea how much it costs to make this fucking thing. Um, and I have a box office of about 16.5 million, which it's tough to really get a full read on that but okay um i'm actually willing to say it's probably significantly higher but what do i know yeah it was a 26 million dollar budget Ooh, corwin heller with the facts um which uh show they spent that just in fake glass in this movie (laughs) just for that one scene just for are you kidding me every scene every scene in the movie every scene in the movie is shattering glass there it's was amazing. genuinely like two full scenes where it was like genuinely noticeable where like I more glass than i've ever really seen in one place yeah like that mall it's too much glass every time another pane of glass broke in the mall i was like oh my god oh my. And like i was looking at it like anytime anyone would stand up right before a punch or kick would get thrown i was like if they break another fucking pane of glass and then they would and i was just losing my shit it was so much fun anyway um yeah the tagline is you may know the name but the game has changed now that tagline does not make a lot of sense unless you are aware of the fact that this is the very first believe it or not in 1985 the very first a police-themed film that was made in Hong Kong. This was the first movie of its kind. So Jackie Chan, uh, at this point in time in Hong Kong, was a very well-renowned action movie star, comedic movie star, whatever you want to kind of call these types of movies. I think both is fitting. And what was often happened is that he would release the title of his film and it would be something relatively specific. And then a bunch of people would make that movie and at a lower budget and just, you know, kind of capitalize on the general idea of what Jackie Chan was doing to try to get some windfall. Um, and so what Jackie Chan decided to do was he made this film title very vague, Police Story. That's it. It's vague on purpose so that people couldn't copy the concept. And it was the very first police-centered film that was done in Hong Kong. Um, which is kind of wacky. Because again, by 1985, I mean, like, police-centered films are an American cinema staple. You know, you go back to the 30s with that shit. Uh, But that's that's where that tagline comes from, if I had to guess. 
So there's that. Um, After that story, I genuinely forget what the tagline even was. So the tagline, again, for those of you like Corwin who may be a touch forgetful, you may know the name, but the game has changed. Uh, Okay. No, that makes some sense. Yeah. Again, it will make no sense if you don't understand that very small amount of backstory. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Yeah, it has no major awards, wins, nor nominations. Uh, And it uh, just because, you know, Hong Kong films, it's tough to get kind of through to the main stage of the Oscars or um, actually I'm a little bit surprised I didn't get nominated for any BAFTAs. Hong Kong was under British control at this point, but whatever. Um, And it is about a virtuous Hong Kong police officer who must clear his good name when the drug lord he is after frames him for the murder of a dirty cop. Corwin Heller, this was your film. Get us started. Man, I love this. This was just one of those films that you watch and you think, this was made by someone who truly loved every second of it and loves what they were doing. Like, it is... Like, we talk about, like, Mortal Kombat. We talk about, like, the action movies back when. Like, this is, like, a work of art. Like, with just the dedication to the craft, just the absolute attention to detail and all the little things that they do to just, like... Perf- Perfection that it's not that they don't matter but it's like the little things that you really wouldn't focus on or consider like foundational pieces of what makes a movie a movie but it just is supporting what is genuinely like a stupid nonsense story into like a, a genuinely like warm-hearted just absolutely hilarious 1985 cliche movie and it just comes together in this culmination. I know I'll get heat for it for being this picky and choosy, but this was just so perfectly made for what it is. I love this. Yeah, I mean, this is the charm of Jackie Chan. This is why he is one of the consummate filmmakers, for especially within his genre, and performers of any kind. Because this film has quite literally everything you could possibly want out of a movie like this. It's got phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal action scenes, which you are guaranteed to get out of every Jackie Chan movie. His choreography for the fight scenes is always perfect. Done Um, to perfection every time. They are so realistic, it's, it's insane. And they're also... And you get physical comedy out of both that and Jackie Chan in general, the scene with the phones in this movie specifically for that. But also this, you know, the way, and I've heard Jackie Chan talk about it, the way that he makes a pointed attempt at incorporating the objects that are just kind of nearby in the scene uh, into the fights really brings about one, a sense of realism and two, like a lighthearted goofiness that manages to cut through what are even, you know, serious fights, you know, like not mm-hmm. necessarily just fucking around, like actual fights, but it feels grounded and fun at the same time. And it, that, that, whether you are fully aware of that being the reasoning or not, like that comes through really directly. Um, in addition to the fact that Jackie Chan is just a good actor and this story actually makes a lot of sense, which uh, cannot fully be said for a lot of other films like this 
So that is also a big plus. Like it was one of those things where like you notice like how cheesy the story gets at the end. And it's just like this. All right. Whatever. Like it could have been a nothing story whatsoever. Like truly nothing. And I wouldn't have cared one bit because of how much charm, like you said, Jackie Chan has and just the the facial expressions, the mannerisms, just all the little things that just just make this character like glow, make him flash, just make him just steal attention while also directing the film and the choreography like the stunt as stunt coordinator. It's just it's perfect. It could have been just the worst written piece of shit story ever and i still would have loved it yeah and it's it's easy to see where where the the love comes from again considering everything that kind of goes because what what this film does a, a good job of is that this is a movie and an action film this is a comedy film, a police drama and an action film and mm-hmm. oftentimes you don't get both sides or in this case all three corners edges whatever um of that oh man i lost my own analogy halfway through uh, of that shape i guess yeah seriously because in between the fights which are outlandish at times and you know very real at others the outlandish ones being the whole beginning (laughs) what was exploding (laughs) um doesn't matter it really it really doesn't um, Michael Bay could have directed the first 10 minutes of this. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> and versus, you know, a lot of the other fight scenes, which are also like very goofy, but, you know, smaller and, and, and you know, you, you can buy a little bit more. But in between those moments is actually like Jackie Chan, like, you know, dealing with bullshit police politics, but like not enough that it gets boring um, and, you know, riding a desk for a little bit, but in a very comical way. And you only get one mm-hmm. scene of it. So it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like, it is written out where it's not just nonstop action the way you get out of um, some films like Ip Man or like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with, or maybe it was last week with Mortal Kombat. There is an actual movie that is there that is being presented to you to kind of break up the action. And uh, I don't know, did, did you find yourself being like, fuck, I am enjoying this scene, but I really want to see another Jackie Chan fight scene. Did that, did that happen to you at all? I... No, because I always knew it was coming. Like, it was one of those things where it's like, yes, of course I want to be watching, like, an action sequence because of how beautifully choreographed it is. But, like, yeah, I'll see Jackie, like, fuck around with some cell phones all tangling together, trying to keep five different conversations straight at once. That's still hilarious. Like, he's so funny on top of being so talented at martial arts and perfecting these acrobatic moves and feats just with his environment that I'm okay with either. There's no issue with either. Yeah. I'm, I'm he, and again, that's, that's one of the things that was sorely missing from the mortal Kombat movie. A little bit of the Australian guy has Mm -hmm. not quite the charm, but the some level of personal intrigue. That's not just the fighting. Um, that let his character be a little bit more engaging on screen, but outside of him. Yeah. Outside of him, there was nobody else in that movie that had any of that. Um, And there are several characters in, in this one 
in police story that are like that but jackie chan obviously occupying the most screen time and is by far the most you know enigmatic of all the characters in the film he is so fun and funny and also like really serious like there's a few scenes in this movie where jackie chan is like dead fucking serious and it is it's almost weird to see him be like so stern at some points and it being absolutely believable he's just he's so talented like it's crazy how much we underappreciate him for who he is in the u.s like we we see him as like oh he's the rush hour guy that's the rush hour guy and no one really knows the hong kong side of you know him as a director, him as a stunt coordinator, him as an actor, like everything he did in Hong Kong is done near to near perfection. And in the U.S., he's just kind of a, hey, it's Jackie Chan. Now, did you grow up watching the Jackie Chan cartoon TV show? I did. It wasn't like I'd wake up every Saturday and have to watch it. But if I, you know, I'd watch it if it was on and I was allowed to just sit and watch TV. Oh, no, 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 no. I had to watch it. Really? <laughs> oh, man. I loved that fucking show when I was a kid. You know what's wild to me? Because this was Kel's first Jackie Chan movie. Really? Yeah. And I had to explain to her after the first 20 minutes that it's a comedy in addition to being an action film. Because I think there's... There's very few movies that combine both without being too much in one way. Like if you watch like um, like a John Wick, you're mm. going to get a lot of lighthearted moments. And you'll get some like snippy dialogue here and there, but it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to call that a, at any phase, a comedy film, right? Never, never. And if it's you were to watch relief, not comedy. Right, right. There are comedic moments. There is not a broad sense of comedy. Uh, and if you were to watch Kung Fu Hustle, you wouldn't necessarily say this is a hardcore action film. Mm-hmm. And this film actually does both of those things. So it might not. What great necess- examples. Thanks, buddy. Those like that. Those are the two perfect examples for each end of the spectrum. Way to go. <laughs> Appreciate the love, buddy. Um, but it's true because if, if, if you don't take. If you if you're unfamiliar with who Jackie Chan is, it might not be evident at first how much great comedy is happening in this film until probably the phone scene because it is built into like the coding of Jackie Chan. And Mm -hmm. if you're not, I guess, familiar to it or with it, it might not stick out so much because it's so perfectly woven into the fabric of how these stories are told. And I think it's really difficult, or at least it adds to the difficulty for, you know, foreign audiences because you lose a lot of that nuance when you are sitting reading the subtitles instead of, you know, hearing the inflection in their voice. And especially with something like, you know, uh, Mandarin, where Cantonese, Cantonese, because they're in Hong Kong. Good job, Corwin. Thanks, Josh, for the save. Um, I nearly just said Chinese and I was like, wait, I can't say that. That's definitely wrong. Instead of being like 50-50. Um, fuck, I lost my train of thought with that. Uh, uh, you lose some of the... Um, oh, because you're, like, you're, you're reading subtitles. You're not hearing the inflection in their voice. You're not hearing the emphasis in the sentence. And you can't really piece it together with the same type of you know grammar structure, the structure of the sentence. 
So you're kind of lost in that sense. It's just really audio cues and actor reactions and things like that, where you you lose some of that comedy if there's any you know subtlety, which is often what makes you know these kind of movies so funny is because the action is over the top and the comedy is either you know off the cuff or subtle and kind of not the focus of a scene. So I don't think there's too much I directly have to say about any specific parts of the movie. You know, as Corbin said, when we started talking about this one, um, the storyline, while it is actually like it totally makes sense and it flows and all that shit, it also does not matter to the viewing experience. It's like an added plus. So there's not really too much to say because it, it, it doesn't matter, even though it's plausible. Um, so instead, I would like to ask you two questions. Uh, first, what was your favorite gag in the film? Mm. The phones was really good. That one really had me going. Um, fuck, it's tough because like I watched this like Sunday night or Monday night after we recorded. So it like for when we discuss it, like it's about as far away as you can get. Um man i'm trying to think what were some good ones that you liked or at least what was your favorite so i think i think my favorite might have been the cakes <laughs> so just so yeah. jackie chan comes comes to back to his apartment with the witness he's protecting and he forgot it was his birthday so first off that's hilarious um his girlfriend is there holding a birthday cake for him uh, and sees him with another woman and gets mad totally understandable um, she then blows out the candles herself and thrusts a cake in his face. Great bit, right? Mm-hmm. So Classic. everyone leaves. Jackie Chan um, brushes some of the cake off. A little bit of time goes by. Then the door, someone's at the door. He goes to it and his friend is there and his friend shoves another cake in his face. Just... <laughs> and, it's, and he apparently... I mean, he kind of knew, I guess, what had just happened, but it's like, damn, dude, that's just fucking vicious. So then Jackie Chan goes, and after he talks to his friend a little bit, showers off the cakes from his face and body. His girlfriend then comes back. He is talking cash shit about her the whole time she's chilling in the apartment. And then after he's done just giving her the fucking verbal business, She throws another cake in his face that appeared out of the ether of this film. Oh, no, 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 no. They had a couple key shots of it just like off in the background, just unsuspecting like, oh, there are multiple cakes at this party. I didn't see it. So it really took me by surprise. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) I was dying laughing at the third cake. The second cake got me pretty good, but the third cake really killed me. It's such a great movie because there's so many of those moments and it's really fun. One of my favorite bits that's not even necessarily a gag is just the opening scene where in that in that village and they're trying to have that um, almost like ambush. They're trying to catch them, you know, red handed, that kind of shit. And as soon as everything kicks off, you know, guns start blasting. And everyone's first reaction is like, okay, we need to clear the area of civilians. Like we need to, you know, get a plan, decisive action, like work out in teams, communication. It's like, oh, like this isn't 
like some crazy Michael Bay movie where everyone's just like, all right, whip out the guns and just start unloading everything just in the general direction of all the baddies. It's like we're, we're oh, sending like, miners to the making, moon to blow up a thing. Right. It's like, oh, you're making like active decisions. Like this is an ongoing process and like you have a chain of command and like decisive decision making with the correct decisions to, you know, protect lives and, you know, put out fires and like move propane tanks. So like things don't escalate. And it's like, oh, this is this is real police work. Oh, this is new to me as an American in mm. 23 years. This is new. Um, so that was fresh to see. I really like that. I will also add another gag that I very much appreciated was everything to do with Jackie Chan's girlfriend, Scooter. The scene where she tries to leave. When when it starts whipping her ass around and it was like not Jackie Chan doing that stunt, I was like, oh, fuck. Is she like, okay? It, it's so great. There's so much fantastic physical comedy. And like I will give chasing... one more. Okay, go ahead. But it's it's not technically a gag because it wasn't on purpose, but knowing that it wasn't supposed to happen that way is very funny. So in the beginning, after the bus scene, right? Jackie mm-hmm. Chan finagles a way to get the um, bus driver to slam on the brakes. And of course, none of the bad guys are wearing their seatbelts because they're mm-hmm. very naughty. Um, and the bag, some of the bad guys come flying through the front of the bus, through the windshield. They were supposed to land on the car. <laughs> <laughs> and the bus just stopped a little bit too short. <laughs> and so they just <laughs> ate asphalt. <laughs> oh, I fucking love that. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you, we got the shot. Like, that's so much funnier than anything else could have been. Oh, yeah. So we're going to keep it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, like, the one shot of, like, the bus turning the corner and you just see nothing to just see Jackie Chan swinging around the side of the bus, just completely parallel to the ground. Just, it's not like a full-on gag. It's just like a single shot, a quick shot, but it's such a hilarious image that because they don't like cut like six different angles of the same thing in at once, like, which is fine when they have the big spectacle at the end, but like for something so quick, so subtle, it's like, well, it's not even that subtle, but it's just so fucking funny. Just like at a gut level, like gut laughter just losing it at something that I saw for half a second. Beautiful. Yeah, I love this movie. I love Jackie Chan. All right. And so my second question. This is why it's completely ruined movies like Mortal Kombat to the point of like, I can't watch this because this is the bar that I've set myself on and it's just unachievable. I mean, hey, you ain't wrong. I, I mean, I, I, it is personal taste, man. And, and I get it. Jackie Chan makes some of the best movies of this genre you could possibly ask for. So, mm-hmm. um, so second question, final question. And then I guess we can wrap up this one. Uh, what was your favorite fight scene in the movie? Ooh. Um, shit. Which one was it? It was, it probably just for comedic value, the, well, no, cause there were too many really great fight scenes. I don't know. I, I can't pick one to describe. I think, I think I'd go with the one with the cars where Jackie Chan um, is 
driving with between the two cars yeah and he keeps like jumping like through the back seat and like through the windshield and like you're right this i mean this movie is full of great fight scenes and the whole end of the movie is an amazing just long fight sequence it's so good but i think that one in particular stands out as being so different from the other ones i i think that one might be my favorite for sheer singularity within the film I was torn between that one there and the one where he set up the cop to try and like fake attacker so Jackie can come in. I was between those two too. (laughs) And it's just like that was so out there and just funny as shit by the end of it. Like I was so confused. I was like watching this just like this is the worst fucking murder I've ever seen in my like this is the worst hitman I've ever seen. He's like actively missing. Oh, he's actively missing. And then gets completely obliterated by her just ceramic collection that she keeps in her house. And just Jackie Jackie to continue the fight (laughs) on his own and then stop her from committing murder. Oh, no, he's trying. (laughs) Oh, no, he's really fighting. Okay, run. Oh, he got me. Oh, he's got me in the door. He's like, what? Oh, he throws him out the door. Please don't pass out. <laughs> so good. Oh, Jackie Chan, we don't deserve you. Uh, um, yeah, I don't I don't got anything anything else for this really. Do you um, have anything else before we a, uh a crazy amount of notes that we pretty oh. much covered? Um every movement being to a beat, whether it be the physical audio overlay or just the rhythm of the fight. Every single movement is to a beat of some kind. And that just creates this just foundational rhythm and just foundational, um, like, what's the what's the term for it? Just like the timing of the film just is succinct with, it's, I really don't know how to describe it. It just makes everything seem smoother and just things faster and slower and just to the perfect rhythm whether it be because they just happen to choose the perfect rhythm or because it's just continuous throughout the movie i don't know but i just love the feeling of sitting there watching it when it's so in tune and then yeah the rest is just how beautiful it looks how well he directed it um i'm giving this a four and a half and i'm just jumping into my rating Oh, I'm I'm with you. Um, I'm probably gonna go four and a half as well. This is this is so incredibly fucking well done for for what these types of movies are. I mean, it it we've been saying it the whole review. It's 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 peak Jackie Chan. It's Jack. It, it's fully controlled, creative controlled Jackie Chan being creative Jackie Chan doing Jackie Chan business. Um, he he Jackie Chan people all over this movie. Mm-hmm. Just Jackie Chaning it up. Um, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm probably going to go or peruse HBO Max and watch a bunch of his movies after I finish my Pedro Drunken Almodovar kick. Good. Drunken Master is yeah. great. Um, I do need to rewatch um, Rumble in the Bronx because it takes place mm. in the Bronx. Uh, um, uh, there's just so many good ones. But anyway, anywho, yeah. All right, cool. Then let's take it on over to Los Angeles. And talk about 2001's Mulholland Drive, written and directed by David Lynch. 
starring Naomi Watts, Laura Herring, and Justin Thoreau. Um, this film had an estimated budget of $15 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $20.2 million. Not exactly a success. Um, this film's tagline is uh, an actress longing to be a star, a woman searching for herself. Both worlds will collide on Mulholland Drive. Yep. Okay, sure. That is a sentence that describes this movie. Yep. Yeah, on the nose. Um, this film has one Oscar nomination. It was for Best Director for David Lynch. Um, he lost it that year to... Let's see, 2001, 2002? He lost it to Ron Howard for A Beautiful Mind. Yep. Um, and this film is about after a car wreck on the winding Mulholland Drive renders a woman amnesic she and a perky Hollywood hopeful search for clues and answers across Los Angeles in a twisting venture beyond dreams and reality. This was my film. So I'll start. This was the first, well, actually, I guess technically the second David Lynch movie I watched. Cause I, I watched elephant man before I watched this, but it doesn't feel like it really counts since elephant man isn't very David Lynchian. Um, and this, anyway, like I said, this was the first one I ever watched. I watched this before I watched Blue Velvet. I watched this before I watched Eraserhead. Or, you know, obviously I knew the lesser David Lynch films in the um, aura of Public Eye, like you know, Inland Empire or whatever. But so I have, I have, I have a, I have a fondness for this film because it also really just I, I refuse to look up anything about most movies I, I watch before I watch them. And I did that with this one and I came away not really understanding at all what I had just watched, which I love. I love when that happens. I absolutely love when that happens. I, I okay. want, I want to be able to, with certain films, spend time trying to understand what message is being communicated. And this film made me do that because there's clearly the, there's a point here that I missed and I had to watch this film a couple times before I got it in whatever capacity I think I can understand it today. And I think that's what I love about David Lynch and his style of filmmaking is the manic expression of symbolism that will parade around your screen along with what appears to be on the surface a pretty coherent story that will potentially lose you at times in some of the idiosyncrasies of the writing. Um, and I love that. I am all about that. Um, so I am a fan. I'm interested, Corwin, to hear what you thought. It is my personally held belief that every film you watch should be a self-contained work. So like if you have a series of movies, if you have you know a, a trilogy, each film has to be able to stand on its own without the others, both in narrative and overarching structure. I really can understand why you or someone else would see a movie like this where you have to watch it like four or five times to understand what is being presented to you and what it all means. If I have to watch a movie five times to understand what it means, I don't care about that movie. That's not for me. If you enjoy it, go right ahead. I'm never going to stop you. 
and I won't speak ill of of you enjoying that or you know the piece of art that was created. It's just not for me. I'm not about it. I I do not have the time to to do that, and I just think there's too many great pieces out there that I haven't seen to really spend the time to do that. And I don't know what the fuck this movie was. I don't know, and I'm I have. I dropped an F-bomb in emphasis, but I don't want it to be taken as like a negative, like me being annoyed by it. I just have no earthly idea of what really happened or what occurred. And I just need you to, to explain it to me. I just oh, buddy, don't know. We're gonna get into I it. don't know. I, I, will, I will say, in my view, there are two types of movies that were confusing and I didn't get the first time. One of which I find to be very enjoyable and one of which I find to be exceedingly annoying and will fall on your side of it. And it's the difference between a movie like this, where it's wrapped in symbolism and there is some level of interpretation that needs to happen where I might not get it the first watch, but I'll pick it up later on. And then there's a film like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, where it's like, oh my God, I just, I just stopped caring for like two minutes and now I don't really know what's happening anymore. And oh my God, I just, why is there so much happening? Um, that movie I hate. Or the movies like that I hate, I should say. Where it's just nonstop exposition and you just have to learn. You just have to, have to be uber focused the entire time. Yeah, where we're, we're, it's complex but doesn't necessarily serve a purpose outside of the complexity supposing to be a part of the storyline like in here part of the complexity is in symbolism and in artistic representation and that stuff i enjoy as a person like i i like looking at a thing and going what the fuck's that supposed to be um how does that tie in mm-hmm. i i enjoy that for me i don't enjoy being like oh my god i have to like bring out a fucking like family tree to decipher how the fuck all these people tie in together like i don't want to be doing that much fucking trigonometry during this movie um so i i get what you say i in my mind i divide it into two categories but i get what you mean so let's tackle this 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 film then do you have any guesses corwin Uh, like what what did you take if anything away from Uh... this movie so um do i have to be confident about it absolutely not (laughs) okay because no i think rita was both characters and just one was before and after amnesia and i think betty was two different characters that I haven't gotten that far yet, but I think Rita was the same person. So now I'm not going to, again, anytime we talk about movies that require some level of interpretation, I'm not going to sit here and say that like my interpretation is the right one and everything else is wrong. Um, So I'm just going to talk like it's right because I don't want to keep having to give caveats every time because that's annoying. So here's the one caveat at the beginning. Um, Smart. Yeah. The way, the way I read it and the way I think makes the most sense on it, is the beginning of this movie did not happen. What? The realness of the of the world of this film starts um, after the, the box hits the floor. And you see that uh, Betty is actually Diane. 
Okay. And Diane lives a life that fucking sucks. Diane lives a life where she has been trying to break into the Hollywood scene for a long time and it has never gone well for her. She has not been noticed. She's only kind of getting by on the back of this friendship slash relationship that she has with this woman, Camilla. Um, Camilla, who kind of doesn't seem to really give two shits about her, doesn't need her, uh, is not only getting engaged um, to the director that... um, of the film that that Diane has been working on, which again is probably the only reason she got this role that uh, she was participating in, but is also shared a long kiss with another woman at the rap party, and so you're left to assume that not only is Diane probably uh, not the most important thing to uh, oh, what's her name again, Camilla, but probably not even the second most important thing to Camilla. <laughs> Tough to say. Um, and additionally, she's a woman who's lost a lot of what the young starlet energy kind of is. You know, at the beginning of this film, you see the idealized version of Diane Selwyn. That is Betty. And Betty steps off the bus into Los Angeles fucking glowing, you know, huge glow. And then and there's this innocence and this romanticism surrounding being in Hollywood that is absolutely gone from the eyes of Diane. So much so the sense of dread and disgust and fatigue and a shade of nihilism that she decides to put a hit out on Camilla after Camilla ended things and and moved forward with her engagement which so racked her with grief along with the memory of her life back in Canada doing the jitterbug um, that she ends up killing herself. Now the beginning of the film, the whole beginning portion of the film is that road to discovery. And you see it with how the characters are portrayed versus how they are in the real life of the second half of the film. You know, the director who holds all this power and is um, fucking the girl that Diane loves and, you know, has full control over her career in this precise moment. In the world of the beginning of the film, he's a fucking loser. He's a total fucking loser who has no control over what's happening in his film, whose wife hates him. You know, he's he's a cuck. He has he has um, he's broke. He owes money all over town. It's a total piece of shit. Camilla, a.k.a. Rita, it literally needs Diane or Betty, literally needs her to survive, right? And it, it shows, it puts forward this idea that Diane is searching for something and there's this cross section between wants and needs and reality and fantasy that is slowly losing her grasp on reality and furthering her decline in her own belief in herself and how she envisions her life. And it's all captured in that kind of beginning as they go on this journey to discover who Rita was. And it's really about learning about who Diane was 
And that's the whole key and box scenario. You know, uh, uh, Rita has this key. Eventually they find this box. The box, the key goes in the box, opens the box. And then all of a sudden that fantasy is gone because there is a, there is some level of awareness that clicks in the mind of Diane that draws her back into reality. And it culminates in the, the no I Banda scene, which is meant to be like, none of this is fucking happening. None of it's happening. The beauty, the weird shit, the intrigue, the love, none of it's real. This is all a recording. None of this is real. And that's when she finds the box. And so it's a really scornful tale of Hollywood. But it's it's a very it's a very non-traditional kind of mystery movie. Yeah. No, all of that makes complete sense. Um again, I just I don't want to have to and as much as that makes sense and, and I can appreciate that all of that kind of does fit together like a puzzle and it makes sense most importantly like i don't want to have to watch a movie that has to be explained to me whether it be through someone like you through a director commentary through you know reading a book outside of watching the film uh i i just kind of wish there was something that would would tell me that just a just enough just a little more to make it I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to do shrooms to have to watch a movie and, and think like that. Oh, I'm not sure that would, uh, that would help your, yeah, <laughs> your interpretation. Like that's one of those, like flip a coin of like, either it's going to click or I'm going to be nowhere quick. Well, and I think that's what this movie does exceedingly well is that, you know, there's a bunch of weird trippy shit that happens throughout that whole first half you know that like you know you're, you're watching a david lynch movie you should expect some element of that and then once the box scene happens and then you switch that's when you goes oh because like before that you're like all right i know I, we've seen this guy a couple times like all right how's that tie in like all right the director so he, he knows some people like how's this all going to loop back together and then it just says fuck all that Here's a whole new situation, all new names. Everything. Unless, unless you never really get what the box is supposed to be, and then you're just like, well, now what the fuck is this going on? Like this, none of this is the same. Okay, right, this is a different movie I'm watching. I don't know what's going on. I need help. I need someone to help me. Right, and I, I, I think it's that that false sense of security that was what really makes this movie such a problem <laughs> if that box thing doesn't click for you, you know, because you're going to think that your more pieces will come in a traditional fashion, the way that a mystery movie that's set up kind of like this would. And then it pulls the rug out from underneath you and says, Nope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, even, even at the beginning of it, you know, like you kind of, you're following along. And then once the old people come out, it's like, oh boy, what, what? Yeah, what? 
them smiling was horrifying. What do you think they are? I don't know. I I read those people as being symbolic, uh, like the symbol of um, Diane's past in Ontario. They are, in my mind, they are contestants from the jitter, right, from the jitterbug contest. They are these friendly faces that she knew in her pleasant town back up in Canada and them smiling aggressively as they are seems to be terrorizing because she realizes how far she's fallen as a person. Mm. Um, Uh, It's like that last nail in the coffin there. Part of me wants to rewatch this and go back and see all these little details and see how it unravels, you know, and like for myself, Um, part of me thinks that that kind of realization with how sad of a story this is would just be too much. And I'm better off just accepting it and not putting myself through that. Honestly, I will say it is a fascinating movie to watch after it clicks for you because it makes the scenes that you're watching in the first half make a different impact. Like the idea that somebody, some skeezy um, mafia like figure told them to pick Diane in the beginning of the film to star in whatever movie they were casting is painfully sad when you realize that that is her own imagination and in her own imagination, she still doesn't legitimately get her part. There is still some dark force at work there. And even in her deepest fantasies where she is living in a reality that is pleasant for her, she still doesn't earn her way. Oh, I didn't need that. It's, it's a really fascinating movie to watch on the second go round. Uh, all right. I might have to. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, let's get into final ratings and reviews on this. Cause we could talk about a lot of that shit all day. Cause there's, it's a two and a half hour long movie with the, just a bunch of shit in it. Um, this is my movie. I will start. Uh, I think this is actually a really good entry point for David Lynch. It's, which is a weird thing to say because this is a relatively complicated movie, but it still presents itself straightforward enough for enough screen time that it's not intimidating because if you were to start with a racer head or blue velvet i think it might be visually too much especially like a racer head um and you might not want to continue down the path of this weirdo's fucking brain um this was my first one and i think i i I mean, it, it's what led me to a bunch of his other work. So mm-hmm. I I really think that if you're going to start somewhere with David Lynch, this is a great place to do it. Um, and it is a wonderful amount of mystery and completely unsettling for like no real reason, um, which is interesting. It, it's well done and it's not something that might cross your radar in normal circles. So if you find it, definitely check it out. I'm going to give this a solid four for me. I don't like this at all, but I'm giving it a one because I watched the entire movie and could not even just put a sentence together about what it was about or what it meant. And I'm giving that a one and a recommendation to go watch, like, I guess twice. Or (laughs) if you haven't watched it already, watch it once. And it's like, I, 
I can't help myself. Like I, I have to give it a one because that's just kind of like how the ratings work for me. And it's like, I can't tell you what the movie was about. I can't say it was better than that. Like it's just, I don't want to give it a one. It's like giving a kid that like tried really hard on a paper and just happened to write about the wrong subjects, just like uh, an F. And it's just like, I, you clearly worked hard and you clearly were trying to accomplish something, but this is nonsense. And I, what am I supposed to grade? I got gotcha. you. So, there it is. There it is. Um, all right then. Let's uh let's 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 pick out next week's movies. Corwin Heller, oh what's your god? What should... I fucking all right. Uh, give me <laughs> <laughs> fuck. All right. Well, Corwin's thinking. Um, I was waffling on what to do. My girlfriend Kel asked if we could watch some more classic films. So I was racking my brain about what it, would be Kel. a good classic to kind of get into and i have a whole i'm, I'm going to start kind of a list i don't want to go too much all at once with it because there's um i mean the history of cinema there's a fuck ton of movies that is clear um my first thought was all about eve but that was only because we just watched all about my mother mm-hmm. um and i'm going to delay that one uh and instead i'm going to go with Uh, A Billy Wilder classic, which is cheating because all of his movies are classic. He is one of the most amazing filmmakers of um, in American cinema history. Uh, I will be going with 1960s The Apartment. Okay, I see what you're doing there. One of my favorites. I am. I'm going to go. I'm going to go out and just take a random one here and just, I kind of just want to watch some beautiful sunsets and some scenery. So I'm going to go with Jeremiah Johnson. I don't even know what that movie is. Oh, it's an old uh, Robert Redford movie. You know the Uh, gif, you know the gif of like the mountain man, just like with the beard and like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah smiling and nodding that's jeremiah johnson fucking that movie okay gotcha 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 all right we are doing nothing recent for next week nope <laughs> oh all good all right then so check out 1960s not yet yeah, 1960s the apartment and um fucking 1972's jeremiah johnson for next week We'll be chit-chat talking about them, um, so give them a watch or not. That's none of my business. Um, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. We do not post from there very often, so instead you should follow at Corwin Heller uh, or myself at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send us emails with recommendations, ideas, thoughts, opinions, you can do so at juiceinthebigscreen at gmail.com. And that is it for this week. So until next Tuesday, y'all have a good one. Bye.